We are at a strange place in our society. While writing this message, I got the news of a horrible shooting in Christchurch in New Zealand. People gunned down during prayer time at the mosque by a man who hated Muslims. Less than a month later, uh, three predominantly black churches in Louisiana were burned by a hate group. You see, hate is on all sides. Hate used to be a bad word. When I was a kid, we weren't allowed to say that we hated something. We, we weren't allowed to hate people. We weren't allowed to hate vegetables. I mean, come on, who doesn't hate vegetables, right? But we weren't, we were, we, we could strongly dislike something, but we were not allowed to hate anything, and especially people. The words, I hate you, were met with swift and severe punishment. But you see, now it seems that it has become more acceptable. The reality is, today it's a political strategy. People on both sides of an issue accuse the other of irrational anger and hate. On social media, hate gets attention. The angrier that your post is, the more likely it is to be read. Everyone who hates the same thing you do likes your post, ironically. People who disagree with you either cuss you out or they unfriend you. If there was a dislike or a hate button, they would use it. And we now have special laws for hate crimes, a, a crime that is motivated by bias or hate against a, a race, a religion, disability, sexual orientation, ethnicity, or a gender. Right? The, the phrase, don't hate on me, means don't insult me, don't throw me on the bus, or, or, or don't hate, right? Why are you throwing shade at me? Just stop, leave me alone, and quit. Racial tension is on a rise. You see, we thought that America had grown beyond prejudice and irrational hate, but it seems that we've regressed. It's painful to watch even as people who claim to love Jesus allow themselves to be divided. According to the New York Times, there are now more than a thousand hate groups across the United States. The criteria for joining a hate group is that you have to hate who they hate. Can there be a more dysfunctional reason to join a group? Right? Adults act like children. So what's the answer? How are we ever going to get things back on track in our country? How should we as followers of Jesus Christ respond? How should you, what should you do to avoid being swept along a tidal wave of hate? In Luke chapter 10, Jesus addresses prejudice and hate, and he taught a very different way. If we learn this lesson and we apply it to our lives, we can be agents of change to the world around us. You see, Jesus was a master teacher. Jesus used characters and situations that were familiar to his audience and that people could quickly identify with. He, his stories, we, we call them parables, um, but the really cool thing is that most of the time Jesus um, ended the stories by saying, he, he didn't end the stories by, by saying, now this is what it means. Instead, oftentimes the people listening had to think and decide how the story applied to them. And today you get to do the same thing. You get to read the story 
and decide how you should apply it to your life. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law or a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. You see, the lawyer's motivation wasn't to learn, but to catch Jesus in a contradictory statement. He wanted to prove that he was smarter than Jesus and embarrass him in front of the crowd. He, he then went on, he said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? His question was contradictory, though. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, if you inherit something, it's a gift. You don't have to do anything for it. It's what your parents did or what your grandparents did. Jesus answered that question with a question of his own. Jesus said, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And now the lawyer was on, uh, he was put on the spot in front of the entire crowd. And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responded, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. You see, the lawyer gave the right answer. And if he was a smart guy, he would have stopped right there. But he was an idiot. Scripture tells us, but he wanted to justify himself. Listen, any time that your motive is to justify yourself, you're in trouble. Right? To justify is to prove that you're right or defend your words or your actions. I hear some pretty ridiculous justifications for sin for crummy leadership, for dangerous lifestyle choices, bad attitudes, and disobedience. You see, people twist Scripture or ignore God's instructions in an attempt to just to justify their own behavior. Here are some common things that people say when they try to justify themselves. After all, God wants me to be happy. You ever heard that? Um, by the way, that's not in the Bible anywhere. If you can find that, let me know. But I've read the Bible cover to cover, and it's not in there. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that God wants you to be happy. Or they say, I might have done wrong, but you should have seen what he did. Right? And so we compare ourselves to others. God knows my heart. Yeah, God knows your heart is evil, and you're a sinner. Well, everyone else was doing it. Well, that's just the way I was raised, pastor. I did my best. God only cares if I try. You don't understand. I had no other option. What's well, not really hurting anyone? Well, I don't really think that God considers that a sin. The Bible doesn't exactly say that it is. And you see, people even try to justify prejudice. Well, if you had experienced what I had experienced growing up, you'd be prejudiced too. Or, or they say things like, well, if you were around those people as much as I am, you wouldn't like them either. And he wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Who do I have to include in, in love your neighbor as yourself? Who can I keep out? Apparently, the lawyer's circle was pretty small, and he wanted to keep it that way. 
If he could get a definition of who he had to consider a neighbor, then that would also let him know who he could avoid. And in response to that question, Jesus told a story. And it's perhaps one of the most well-known parables in all of Scripture. And this is where we get the term Good Samaritan. See, that label has changed over the years to where now it describes any loving and benevolent person. We have Good Samaritan laws that protect people when they're trying to do good. We have organizations that include Samaritan or Samaritans in their name. Right? Good Samaritan is applied to someone who rescues a cat from a tree or gives a ride to a neighbor. You see, the term, though, started with this story. Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Everyone in the crowd knew the danger of the 22-mile road between Jerusalem and Jericho. See, Jerusalem was located on the edge of a mountain range, about 2,600 feet above sea level. And Jericho, on the other hand, was located in the valley that, that was right next to the Jordan River. And, and this road to Jericho was steep and dangerous. Robbers and bandits would often hide in the, in the, uh, among the cracks in the caves on the road. No one was safe on the road that became known as the bloody way. And Jesus continued, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away. He was just walking. But at some point... In his journey, robbers beat him up, and they took everything that he had. See, clothing was very expensive in, in the ancient world, and so losing not only his things but also his clothes mean, meant that he was in deep, deep trouble. He was naked and bleeding, and the man was left to die on the side of the road. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to a place and saw them, he passed on the other side. Now, these religious leaders probably weren't bad guys. But when confronted with an obvious and evident need, they just kept walking. Now, we're not told why they didn't stop. Maybe they were too busy. Maybe they had an engagement they had to get to. Maybe they were afraid that the robbers were still around and if they stopped to render aid that, that they would get beat up themselves. Maybe they just assumed that somebody else would stop to help the man. Maybe they couldn't afford to help. Maybe they had needs of their own. See, people make all kinds of excuses for why they can't help. Yet, regardless, they just kept walking. They were preoccupied. They had more important things to take care of than one bloody man on the side of the road. See, a man in India tells the story of when he accepted Jesus, and he hurried home to tell his family the good news, and on the way, he stumbled over a beggar that was in the streets. He told the man that he was sorry, but he could not stop to help him because he had to get home to tell his family about Jesus. So that story kind of makes me mad. But how many times have you rushed past someone with a need? See, the Lord is constantly testing the authenticity of our love for him in practical, 
caring for others. Jesus said in verse 33, but a Samaritan. Now some background here, the Jews hated Samaritans. They, they, they had, th- this hate had been handed down from generation to generation to generation. They were less than human. They were treated like dogs. They were the objects of extreme prejudice. Dr. Pat Knott, she's a, a member of our first NLR campus, wrote a book about race and relationships titled The Search for Kumbaya. It's, a fascin- it's fascinating to read some of Pat's experiences as the object of irrational prejudice, a black girl growing up in Mississippi. You see, I grew up in a community that was racially charged. We still had a white side of town and a black side of town. Here was the crazy thing, is all of us kids got along. We went to school together. We played ball together. We were best friends. I'll never forget. Mind you, I grew up in East Texas. And my dad is a good old boy from East Texas who might have had some prejudice. And I'll never forget the very first time I asked if my best friend, his name was Pooh. Actually, that's not his name. His name was Lamar, but he went by Pooh. And if you know nicknames, you don't call anybody by their first name. You call them by their nickname. And so I asked my dad, who grew up, when they desegregated schools, they were forced to get along with people that looked different than them. And I said, hey, Dad, after the baseball game, do you mind if Pooh comes and stays the night? And my dad, without hesitation, goes, well, yeah, son, Pooh can come stay the night. And all of a sudden, As a young elementary kid, I saw God begin to break off chains of prejudice that had been in our family for generations. It's really cool. My dad and his dad ended up becoming best friends, and they coached baseball together. It's amazing what happens when one person decides to do the right thing. But you see, growing up in in, in a small town in East Texas, I saw prejudice and racism reign. I want to read to you a, a section from her book. She said, whenever I went downtown with my mom or sisters in my earlier days, I would leave there with confusing and conflicting emotions. I soon learned the rules, however, and was able to accept that although they made no sense, it was the way things were. First... I had to learn that you did not speak to white people if you were black. It would not be considered polite. They did not want you to speak to them. And of course, you could speak if they initiated it. When you paid for your purchases, the white people really hated it when you touched their hand. That's why they threw your change on the counter or or carefully dropped it in your outstretched palm. Pat writes about the first time she ever attended the movie. She said, we were headed out on foot for the walk to downtown to the movie theater. My heart pounded with excitement. I couldn't help reaching into my pocket every few minutes, feeling the 35 cents and change that it would take to go see the movie. Now, let's pause right here. We definitely date this. How many of you guys wish the movies were still 35 cents? I think now they're like $35 just to get in, and that's not even counting candy and drinks. She said, I didn't even know what movie we were going to see. 
I didn't care what movie it was. I was just ecstatic to be going. We finally arrived at the theater after what seemed an eternity of walking. And I eagerly handed my coins over at the entrance and was allowed in. My sisters steered me in the direction of a set of stairs. As my sisters greeted a few friends, I sat and marveled at the surrounding velvet, the carpet, and the wood in the dim light. But wait, who was it down below us? And why didn't my sisters want to sit there out in the wider open spaces of the theater? And one of my sisters explained that we're not allowed downstairs because we're black. Downstairs seats were reserved for whites. It was then that I realized that sure enough, everybody in the balcony was black. Looking over the balcony railing, I could see rows of silky straight hair and pale skin. I can't explain it, but looking over the railing at at the downstairs occupants caused something inside of me to dim just a little just like the lights in the theater. And that's powerful pictures of prejudice. Can I tell you, I hate prejudice. Right? In, in Texas, when you hear the word prejudice, you, you, think, you automatically think of black and white. But listen, prejudice is much more than that. You can be prejudiced against blacks, whites, rednecks, the uneducated, people from a different religion, people who have no religious beliefs at all. You, you can be prejudiced against homeless people, poor people, rich people, divorced people, single moms, people who are here illegally, Muslims, Hispanics, homosexuals, handicapped, someone that's a different political party. The list is endless. You see, prejudice disregards the price that Jesus paid on the cross for all people, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. See, when I became a pastor, we began to develop our core values, statements that would guide our belief and our behavior as a church. And the first core value that we learned together as a church was every soul matters to God. You have heard me say that phrase hundreds of times over the last three years. A soul is a soul is a soul. Every soul matters to God. You see, that's the opposite of prejudice. Treating people with the value that God places on them. Man, maybe you felt like the Samaritan. You felt hurting and alone. Maybe you felt ignored by people who claim to be Christians. Listen, I want to apologize to you. Sometimes we get caught up in other things and we forget to prioritize hurting people. You see, other times people who who claim to be Christians show hate instead of love. Please know this, those people do not represent Jesus or his church. Don't judge us by people who don't embrace the message of Jesus. You see, Jesus could have chosen anyone in this story to be the hero, but he chose a Samaritan. See, this was a reverse prejudice story. 
the guy who represented everything that they hated and they despised, acting in a way that represented everything that they admired and they respected. You see, his actions reveal powerful principles. Just because you've been hated doesn't mean you have to hate in return. Listen, being a victim of hate does not mean that you have to perpetuate hate. But you see, but as a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came to a man, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. See, the leaders of society, the priests and the Levites, they didn't stop. They, they turned their head, they closed their eyes, they pretended like they didn't see him, and they kept walking. But it was the hated of society, the Samaritan, who took, who took pity on the bloody traveler. So what did he do? He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and he took him to the inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave him to the innkeeper. He said, look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you have. You see, not only did he take an entire day and night to help the man, he left money, two days worth of pay for any additional care that the man might need. In addition, he promised to come back to return and to pay for any other care that was needed. And then the Bible goes on to tell us the rest of the story. No, it stops right there. And then Jesus wrapped it up with this question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law said, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus replied to him, go and do likewise. Now notice this wasn't a suggestion. It was a command. Go and do likewise. And then the encounter ends there. The guy had to figure out what it meant. And so do we. You see, life is filled with unexpected moments. You are constantly meeting people who need you and people that you need. This is honestly where, where some of you get hung up. Instead of seeing opportunities to share Jesus, you, you see interruptions. Open your eyes to what God is doing around you. Bob Goff wrote, Loving people the way Jesus did means living a life filled with constant interruptions. You see, God will place you in the lives of people who are wounded when he wants you, when he wants to love them through you. You see, life becomes an adventure when you give yourself away freely to, to everyone that you meet in every relationship and every opportunity that God gives. See, when you life this way, everything changes. You see, all of a sudden, people with needs are, are no longer a burden or an annoyance. They are opportunities to give what God has given to you. In the same way, when you're wounded, God will send the people that you need. Listen, when you are troubled or you're anxious, God will direct 
one with the right word of encouragement, the right word of correction or help. You see, being available to God to be a spontaneous expression of his love is one of God's great purposes for our lives. And I challenge you to pray this way every day. Lord, put me, put people in my path that need you today. Put people in my path that need me, that need the grace experience, the love I have, and that need your encouragement. Help me to overcome my ugly, sinful prejudice and see everyone as a person who matters to you. Lord, today, help me to love my neighbor as myself. See, I guess the, the lesson from the parable of the Good Samaritan can be summed up in one phrase. We can't ignore needy people. We can't close our eyes. We can't turn our heads and keep walking. We can't pretend like they don't exist. No matter how important, how busy, how stressed, or how tired we may be. You see, we fulfill the command of Jesus and we demonstrate his love when we care for those who are neglected and forgotten. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Act like that good Samaritan. Find the bruised, the beat up, and the battered and minister to them. Right? Treat them like your, your neighbor. Even, even more than that, treat them like you would want someone that you love, someone that's a part of your family. Treat them the way you'd want someone else to treat your loved ones. You see, this command is true for you as individuals. And it's also true for us as a church. We must continually reach out to those who are overlooked. The hurting, the helpless, the poor, and the homeless matter to God. You see, they must also matter to us. And we need to act on that. This morning, I am honored to have a, a great friend and ministry colleague um, with us this morning. Seth and Janae Wolverton are, are here. Seth's here. Um, his wife and, and kids are not able to be with us today. Um, we have known Seth and, and them for around 10 years. It's crazy to, to realize that, that we have been friends that long. And most recently, they were youth pastors at Timber Creek Church. And, and now they are answering the call of God to plant a church right down the road from us in Mansfield, Texas. And I've asked Seth to come and share what they're doing in Mansfield. Church, would you help me welcome Pastor Seth this morning? Good morning. We're so honored to be here with you guys today. This is an incredible church, and you're driving down the road, and I've never been to Mejia, Texas before. I just got to be honest, right? Like, there's, you're not, like, you don't just end up in Mejia unless you're driving to Mejia, right? Like, that's the only reason. Uh, and I'm driving here today, and I pull up, and I'm here at this church. I'm like, man, God is doing something incredible right here in Mejia, Texas. And like Jason said, we've known these guys for a long time. And before I even want to say anything about what I'm doing, why I'm here, you need to know you guys have incredible pastors. And that maybe it's your, like, second week here or your first time. Like, they love you so much. And you are so honored and blessed to have these guys here with you every single week to, to pray with you, uh, to walk through all of the struggles of life, to help push you towards Jesus, and really to help you become who God created you to be. Like, that's it. And so just know that you are blessed to have these guys in your life. 
Like that's like we can make some noise for that or something and like get excited about it. Love these guys. They are a blessing to you. They're a gift to you. And God placed them here in your life for a specific reason, I promise you. Um, like he said, my wife and I, uh, we've been youth pastoring for the last, really the last decade. I, I jumped in early and my wife joined me at some point and we've been dealing with teenagers. And I say dealing with teenagers because like we've really been dealing with teenagers, right? Like we're, we're dealing with them through this and through that and helping them, you know, not just be knuckleheads, but like love Jesus and uh, trying to help develop them and make them who God created them to be. And so we've been doing that the last decade. And about a year and a half ago, um, I, I looked at my wife and I said, something's different. I said, something in our life is just, I feel like this transition and I'm not 100% sure what it is. And my wife, she looked at me and she smiled and she, she was like, I know exactly what you're talking about. She's like, I've been feeling the same thing. And we kind of went through this season of trying to figure out what's next for our life. Like, we loved what we got to do. Like, we loved our student ministry and the church we're at. Like, we were doing some incredible things, and God was using us. But at the same time, I just knew that there was something inside of me that was like, Seth, I just, like, get ready for something. And my whole entire life, I felt called to ministry and to, to be a pastor. I grew up, in, and I remember in fifth grade, it was the day you dress up like what you want to be when you grow up. Come on, you remember what I'm talking about? And I'm at school, and I walk in, and I've got my three-piece suit on, and I've got my hair slicked over, and I've got my Bible with me. And, of course, you got, like, baseball player over here, and you've got, like, somebody that made some, you know, goofy astronaut costume over here. And I'm like, I want to be a pastor. I just, I've known it my entire life. And so going into this, like, this question marks and, like, trying to figure out what was next, I told Janine, I said, I don't want to go look for something. I don't want to get on the Google, you know, and, and, and search for jobs. I don't want to send my resume out to something. Like, God is going to open a door, and it's not going to be my pride. It's not going to be my ambition. This is 100% going to be God. I said, we're going to wait. And, like, if you've been there before, waiting's not fun, right? Like, I'm, I'm showing up to my job, and I'm being faithful, and I'm just trying to give it everything I've got. But it's tough because I just, I feel this separation happening in my heart from my, my, my present calling and my future calling. And it's just, it's tough. And at one point, I told my wife, I said, I just feel like we're going to get a phone call. I said, we're going to get a phone call, and it's going to be towards the end of the year. And honestly, like, I'm not like an over-spiritual person. Like, I'm in ministry. I love God. And, I, like, things happen. But I'm not one to just, like, throw something out there and just, like, you know, it's going to happen. And November 6th of last year, I got a phone call from my old pastor that I, I youth pastored for years ago. And he said, I've got an opportunity for you to plant a church in Mansfield, Texas. And so he's telling me about it. He's telling me about this opportunity. And they're just wanting somebody to come in and bring a healthy church to a city that is blowing up. If you've been uh, to the, the Dallas, the South Dallas, Fort Worth area, uh, Mansfield's right next to Arlington. So you may be more familiar with Arlington, you know, Texas Rangers, Dallas Cowboys. What's happening is Arlington is bleeding over into the community of Mansfield, and it's just blowing up because they've got a great school district. Uh, parents want their kids to go to school there and play baseball there and all this stuff. And it has grown from the year 2000 to now from 25,000 people to 75,000 people plus. I'm sitting next to the mayor a couple weeks ago in a meeting that he has with pastors. I mean, it's just incredible. This city is thriving and just ready for more healthy churches. I'm sitting there, I'm talking to him, he says, Seth, we're doing the census next year in 2020, and we just, we know there's going to be even more people than we've got to count on. And he's excited, but at the same time, he's like, man, what are we going to do? And that's why churches that's why people like us, God's calling people like myself and my wife. You can see her. She's beautiful. <laughs> my wonderful kids. God's called us to leave 
comfort and to leave a job that pays well and that's easy to go and leave everything. I'm like, we're living at my parents' house right now. We're living the dream. Come on. Like the millennial dream. Like that's what we're doing. And it's okay because we're following God's call in our life. And I got a phone call. I hung up and he said, pray about it. I talked to my wife and like we prayed for five minutes and we knew like this is what, what God's been calling us to do. And so we moved to, to the area with my parents. Uh, they live in Waxahachie, just a little bit away from Mansfield. Uh, we moved there in February and we've been running ever since. And we've locked in our location. We're gonna meet Portable where we set up and tear down every single week in a high school in Mansfield, Texas. And it's a prime location. God opened up a door and it's super affordable for us and we're gonna make it happen. And we're gonna have church in a high school, right? Like, we're, like, touring the school, and we walk down this hallway, and, like, two kids are, like, making out over here in the corner, and just all kinds of stuff. I'm like, this is a high school where God only knows what happens, and this high school happens, but we're going to bring Jesus to a dark place that they need God. And so we're coming up with stuff, and I get, I hang up the phone, and my mind is just continually, the wheels are turning, and I begin dreaming up what this church is going to be, and what it's going to look like, and what we're going to do. And... God laid this name of Movement Church on my heart, and at first I really liked it just because Movement Mansfield, I like the alliteration. I'm like, I'm really into that stuff. And I start praying some more, and I spend some more time with God, and he, he lays on me the, just the vision for our church, that we want to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. And that when people walk through the doors, we're looking at them. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter where they're at in life. It doesn't matter how old they are, how young they are. We're looking at them and we're saying, your movement is my mission. I want to help take the God-given potential that God has placed on your life. I want to help take the, the, the passion that God's placed in you. And we want to tap into it and make you who God created you to be. And as much as, you know, your church isn't worded like movement and all this stuff, I love being at churches like this that we get to partner with. And that honestly, as, as we're starting a church from scratch, we have nothing, right? Like our church closet is, uh, it's like a portable tub that I fit in the back of my car right now. Uh, that's, that's it. That's all the stuff we have. Um, we're starting from scratch. And as, as I look at churches like this, as we go and travel to churches, we're standing on your shoulders and believing that God can use people like me and my wife to start a church where people can move. It's incredible, and it's, it's cool to see God's faithfulness as we've stepped out. And it's a little mini challenge, like follow God, be faithful. And he's, you're just going to see provision. You're going to see faithfulness on his side. I'm at a meeting with the mayor. Like I said, I'm sitting next to him, and I'm walking out. It's National Day of Prayer. And how incredible is it? We're walking in City Hall, down the hallway to the lobby of City Hall in Mansfield, and with pastors and the mayor and a few other city officials. And we're about to hold hands in the lobby of City Hall and pray over our city. I'm walking out, and I meet a pastor. His name's Stephen Nutt. He's the pastor of Creekwood Church. His church is about three blocks away from where our church is going to start. I'm meeting him for the first time. We're talking, and he looks at me and says, Seth, we're giving your church $10,000. <laughs> like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to keep a good smile on my face. Like, you're kidding. Like, thank you. Like, but in my mind, I'm like, my mind's literally blown right now, right? And I'm about to fall on the floor because I'm like, God, thank you so much. We're trying to raise $200,000, and you don't know how big of a deal. I'm walking in at 730 in the morning. I don't even want to be there. I'm tired. And, and I, I meet him for the first time, and he says, Seth, we're giving you $10,000. 
I walk over a little bit further. We're getting ready like in our circle, and I, I see another pastor I know. I've known for a while. His name's Trustin. He, he pastors the only other Assembly of God church in Mansfield, Texas. And I see Trustin, and he says, Seth, we want to help you guys out. And I'm like, God, I've already had a really good day. Like, what do you got going on here? And I see Trustin. I'm talking to him, and, and he says, I've got this crazy idea. He said, I know you're wanting to get a moving truck to put everything in, portable, everything. Like, we're going to have to pack it up and unpack it every week. And he says, what if we buy the moving truck for you? We pay the maintenance on it. And he says, when you're done with it, you just give it back to us. <laughs> I'm like, it's, it's like 8.17 in the morning. And I'm at this, this meeting in, at City Hall. And God is providing in miraculous ways. And that's just like a couple like drops of in the bucket of what God is doing and how he's providing to make our dream of movement church and helping people become who he created them to be. Like, that's it. I've got one last story for you. I'm sitting at Starbucks, and right now, a lot of what we're trying to do is we're, we're trying to meet with people and just connect with them, get to know them. And if they want to be a part of our launch team, they're helping us get started. And his name's Nick, and I've met him, you know, a few weeks ago and had a few conversations with him, but I'm just getting to know him a little bit. And I'm talking about this, and I'm trying to get him excited about our church. And he just looks at me and says, Seth, he goes, I just want to learn how to pray for my family. And all of a sudden, I just, something happens in my mind. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm worried about all of this stuff. I'm worried about all the details. I'm worried about all the money that I need. And God's just called me to be here for people like Nick who just need, like, I'm, I'm trying to plan these eloquent sermons, right, that are, like, tweetable, and you can put it on Instagram or something. Like, I'm trying to come up with tweetable sayings and, you know, try to, trying to design cool graphics and make our church happen and post cool things on social media. And you've got people just like Nick that, that he's just got his next step right in front of him. And somebody like me can come alongside somebody like Nick and help him learn how to pray for his family. And I help him with that one step, and it helps him move toward who God created him to be. And I get excited thinking about the stories that are coming because God's going to begin to move in a big way. And like I said, we're honored that we get to, to partner with churches like this. Just know that, that when you give towards, towards stuff like this and, and, and giving your offering, like things are happening. And it's not just like, a, oh, like we gave to that. Like you are helping people come to know Jesus an hour and a half away across the globe, and we are thankful for churches like this that are being faithful and that are helping us move people. So thank you for having us today. We love you guys. Well, here's how you can help. Um, three ways. One is Seth and Janae need people to join their launch team at Movement Church. To, to drive to Mansfield each Sunday and to help start the church and to get the ministry sort of the right way. Here, here's what they need is they need happy people to go to Mansfield. Now listen, if you're not a happy person, don't sign up. Right? But, but listen, maybe, maybe you're going, man, I'd love to help with a, with a church plant. And maybe there's some of you in here, and I just, you're going, Pastor, look at us. We're not even that big. You're going you're gonna to let us go help another church? Absolutely. Why? Because it's not about this church. It's about the kingdom of God. And can I tell you, I believe in Seth and Janae and what they're doing in Mansfield. And maybe as he's talking 
you're going, man, I'd like to be a part of that. Well, you can be. If you'd like more information, you can simply just send an email to info at mahia.org. Um, we'll get that, and we'll forward that on to, to Seth and Janae. Um, even, even if you, you can't go, maybe you could go to help with a project, or, or you can go help with something. You can go help canvas a neighborhood when they're getting ready to launch. Number two, and, and here's a really big one. If you've got friends or family that live in the Mansfield area, we want you to share their contact information with us. You can do it at the same email address. Why? Because it's going to be an incredible church where they can get plugged into what God wants them to do. Here's what we're going to do is we're going to invite them to be a part of the church and to be a part of the team. And listen, if they're not Christians, we're going to share Jesus with them. Listen, it's not a requirement to be a Christian to help start the church. How cool would it be to have a bunch of people who don't even love Jesus help launch the church? Finally, today, we're going to take a special offering to help launch Movement Church. And every penny that you give today will go to help launch the church and to help fund outreaches in the city. Today, Tina and I are honored to give the first $500 this morning. And I'm praying that some of you will match or even exceed our gift. But you see, just like our our missions giving each month, the, the, the power of our giving is everyone being involved. Listen, if you can give $1,000, God will use it. If you, can you, if you can give $500 or, or, or $250, awesome. Listen, I want to challenge everybody to give at least $100. But if you can't give that, give something. Give something. You say, well, what difference does my $25 make? You know, by itself, not much. But that's the great thing about giving is we don't do things by ourselves. And and when when 50 people give $25, that's $1,250 that they've got today that they didn't have this morning. Listen, that makes a difference. Together, we're going to make a huge difference and bring Movement Church to Mansfield. Listen, we are following the command of Jesus and we're reaching out in love. And our answer to the question, who is our neighbor, includes Mansfield. Ushers are coming. And I challenge you to join me and Tina in giving in this offering. You can write a check. You can put cash in an envelope and put your name on it. You can give online. You can do text to give to the number behind me. um, Keyword movement. And together... We're going to see God plant a church in Mansfield. We're going to see a church that helps move people from where they are to where God wants them to be. I'm asking everyone to pray. Listen, it's on God's heart. And when something is on God's heart, it's going to be awesome to see what happens. Heavenly Father... 
God, thank you. God, thank you for, for Seth and Janae. God, it is our privilege and our honor to partner with them and with you. God, we have answered the question, who is our neighbor, by following your command to go and to do likewise. God, to go find the, the hurting and the broken. God, we do that together today. God, we pray that the offering will plant seeds of the gospel in Mansfield. God, we pray for a diverse church in Mansfield. God, we pray that, that black people and white people and Hispanic people and rich people and poor people will all sit together and experience you and your love. God, thank you for allowing us to be a part of that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.